Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Okay, folks, here we go. Let's get it on. It's David Summers, and we're hosting another stud cast with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America is told by the stud whose family started the profession 100 years ago. So now we step back into the ring, back into time. We get hooked up with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. All right, Stud, I got to ask right from the top. Is Brother Rob rushing up Interstate 75 to come stay with you for a few days? <laughs> hey, boy, he has been driving me nuts, man. God, uh, you know, and for those people out there, you know, and they're going to listen to this years from now, hopefully, Dave. Uh, uh-huh. So we better bring them up to date. Uh, there's a big hurricane coming toward Tampa. Straight yeah. Dead, dead for, deadheaded for t- we're Tampa for five days now, I guess, right? Six right. Days. Yeah. So it was way south of Cuba and, and, uh, supposed to be a bad one. Uh, wow. And, uh, so my brother, uh, he lives in a mobile home, uh, and it's a nice mobile home. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been kind of freaking out a little bit. And, uh, <laughs> we've been talking back and forth, uh, but just tonight, about an hour or so ago, they kind of, Changed that model, and they ran it just a little south of where his home is, rather than dead right on it. And uh, and he thinks it's going to go a little bit further south. He's already done his research, man. Yeah, he said, yeah. "Hey, there's a cold front coming. In. It's going to it's going to push her south." And uh, yeah. you know, a lot of that's a thinks wishful thinking, but uh, he's planning on hanging in there, man. Well, he's <laughs> he, and I think we talked about this earlier. He's a few miles from the coastline, right? Yeah, yeah, he's about the good six or eight miles off the coastline. Yeah, and he sits kind of up on a hill on a high ground. So you know, I don't know that the floods are going to be his problem. Uh, it just depends on the winds and that type of stuff. But, yeah. Well, this has been a saga for him, man. And, yeah. Uh, Rob's kind of, you know, he's always a little bit worried and concerned about everything. Ron, yeah. I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? <laughs> you know, and uh, so this has been a. This has been kind of fun in a way, you know, I mean, <laughs> I've been praying for him and, uh, you know, and, and obviously yeah. he's been doing a lot of praying and, uh, yeah. good Lord's a uh, good Lord. Maybe going to well, uh, uh, come down on his side here. So yeah. Like, yeah. I think he's, he's going to be a little further South. I think he's going to be a, it's not the first time for Rob, but I understand the, the anxiety that anybody's going to go through when you got something that massive that's headed towards you. So anyway, we're going to hope for the best for everybody in the Tampa Bay area, because that's a lot of folks. I got a lot of kin folks there. Of course, you spent a tremendous amount of time there. And, and so anyway, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep those folks in our thoughts and prayers. 
Hey, I got to tell you, stud, as we get going, I am fired up for this studcast. Late September 1978, the NWA world champion, Harley Race, invaded Southeastern Wrestling. This time, for the first time, he would be defending his 10 pounds of gold in two Southeastern territories. Not just one, two. And defending four times. Not just once, four times. I want to hear more about this. This is going to be a big-time studcast. Oh, I, yeah, I think uh, I think uh, the fans are going to really enjoy this one. Uh, and I'm looking forward to it as well, Dave. Uh, uh, this studcast is going to be much more than just a visit of the NWA champion, Harley Race. It's kind of going to be uh, a unique tale of two territories, man, uh, owned by the same company, Southeastern, 500 miles apart. And uh, and they were doing something that had never been done. We had, I don't believe there was any other companies that ever ran two separate territories. So, uh, you know, uh, we were in a, we were in a, uh, always in a learning curve at this point. Uh, we were way ahead of our time in a lot of different ways. And so uh, we got two territories and now we're going to get him four times instead of once. So uh, the first Southeastern Territory, let's just start, uh, you know, uh, Knoxville had become, after only four years, we'd been in business for four years. It was basically recognized by the National Wrestling Alliance as the best small wrestling territory in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was about to get its sixth visit from Harley because we'd been open for four years. And on every one of those visits before this one, the Southeastern Territory had only got one title defense by it. He come in one day, he's mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. uh, so the big news, Dave, is uh, is uh, was we were not just the best of small wrestling territory in the world, but uh, we were uh, no longer the smallest territory. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, because us, we had just purchased the Gulf Coast Territory in 1977, and it more than doubled us in size, and it quadrupled us in population. And that growth earned more than just one title defense from the National Wrestling Alliance. So this time it went from one title defense by the NWA champ to four. And, uh, wow, that makes a big, huge difference for you when you start tallying at the end of the week. And uh, so the former Gulf Coast uh, territory, that had been, it had been basically falling apart for two years before it was ever able to, before they were ever able to sell it. And they first sold it to Jim Barnett, the Georgia championship wrestling owner, and Fred Ward, who was the promoter in, in Columbus and Macon, Georgia. Uh, and they bought it in 1977. They ran several events, but they couldn't make a go of it. And they, they handed the territory back to the Fields brothers. They said, basically, we don't want it. We can't make it ha happen. Uh, and it was then uh, that I purchased it from a man, uh, me and my three family members, my brother, my cousin, Jimmy, my cousin, Roy Lee, and, uh, and Bob Armstrong. And we bought that territory in December of 1977. Uh, three months later, we opened the doors to Southeastern Gulf Coast Wrestling on my 30th birthday, March 3rd, 1978. And uh, we did it in a really big way, no pun intended, because Andre was on the first card in Dothan. So uh, that's doing it in a big way. So we struggled to get the territory off the ground, much like the Georgia Championship Wrestling people had done, but we didn't give up on it. And uh, seven months later, after we started out, uh, we were experiencing tremendous growth. We were about to reap some record rewards 
on Harley's first ever visit to Southeastern Gulf Coast. Mm. And two of his four matches, uh, when he comes this trip, were going to be in the Southeastern Gulf Coast territory. See, I was expecting something special on this one. It sounds like, and I, it really sounds like you've added an, another element to the whole thing, Ron. This isn't just about Harley Race and his NWA title defenses. This studcast, I think, is also about the first two-territory wrestling operation ever. Wrestling history, of course, was made in two ways. So I think I think we're already riding in this one. So where do we, where <laughs> yeah, we, we are? We are, my man. Where are we headed today? What direction? Well, man, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have some fun today. Uh, we're gonna begin our ride in southeastern uh, Knoxville. Uh, we're gonna focus on the cards in the two southeastern Knoxville cities uh, that were having these matches in which Harley Race was involved for the world championship. Uh, then we're gonna break down the. Uh, Two fantastic TVs there in uh, this one. Uh, the first on September 16, 1978, which is six days before the NWA world title event. And uh, then we're going to touch on the next TV, which is going to be the following t- week's TV, uh, because Harley's going to be there on Friday, Saturday, s- Sunday. He's going to be in Pensacola. Monday and Tuesday, he's going to be in the Southern Territory. So, uh, we're going to, uh, on that Saturday, Harley's going to actually wrestle on TV. Uh, not just be there, he's going to wrestle on it. And uh, and he was going to defend his belt on Saturday night. The night after he wrestled in Knoxville, he's going to be in Hazard, Kentucky. And the big building they had up there, thank goodness it was a big building. And uh, we'll give the results of uh, both of those shows and we'll talk about the attendances for both of them. And then we're going to take a ride, man, southeastern Gulf Coast, going south for Harley's first trip there. And uh, we'll look at the cards for both the Montgomery and Mobile, Alabama shows. We'll discuss the great TV there. And uh, wow, it's a big one. The results of those two events and the attendance of both. And if we have time at the end of this studcast, I'm gonna break down the business end of these four Harley race nights. Give people the gross houses, uh, give Harley and his opponents payoffs, uh, what the what that amounts come up to and uh in today's money well i know a lot of fans love it when you talk payoffs profits and stuff like that i think that's pretty fascinating too so were you gonna add some matches to these big cards from the other territory like you did in dothan on the last studcast so i guess i'm asking what is the card for knoxville tennessee friday september 22nd 1978 knoxville coliseum well, I, I am going to add a couple of things to it uh, because some of the stars that had been in Knoxville for years had just recently, within weeks, moved into the southeastern Gulf Coast territory. So since you mentioned it, there were going to be three matches on this card that involved wrestlers from the southeastern Gulf Coast territory at this point. Only one of the four of these of these guys are, are going to be back for a long time. Uh, uh, three of them are going to be gone, and one of them is going to return on Thanksgiving night. Uh, that's going to be me. Uh, I'm going to finally come back to Knoxville on Thanksgiving night, having spent most of 78 in uh, on the Gulf Coast, Pensacola. And uh, bear in mind, Dave, none of the Knoxville fans were even aware there was a southeastern Gulf Coast territory. 
Uh, we did not publicize it. We never told fans, never talked about it. And uh, we just did that show last week mm-hmm. in which we brought a match from Southeastern down to Southeastern Gulf Coast in Dothan, Alabama. And uh, that was their first taste of uh, the company's name, even Southeastern. So uh, newcomer uh, with this card opens up with a newcomer that named Terry Gibbs. And uh, Terry's going to turn out to be a pretty darn good worker, man. He's going to be against a a Gulf Coast, one of the Gulf Coast guys at this point, Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, Bob Roop was going to face off against Rip Smith. and in a special challenge match, uh, I wrestled against a Mongolian stomper managed by Gorgeous George Jr., me and the stomper down there in that south, southeastern Gulf Coast at this point. And then the new southeastern tag champions, Jimmy Golden and Kevin Sullivan, going to be defending against the former champions, Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. Obviously, they're managed by Ron Wright. Then there's a southeastern belt versus the southeastern TV trophy match with the winner, going to get both the belt and the trophy. And Rob was the TV champion and uh, he had gone down to Southeastern wrestling at this point. And he was going to be taking on the great Malenko who's becoming quite a star in Southeastern uh, Knoxville. Uh, So, and he is the Southeastern champion. And then obviously in the main event, Ronnie Garvin is going to meet the NWA world heavyweight champion, Harley race. Now that's a, that's a really super card. That's a big deal right there, but, but only six matches, so it has to be a good card. I was kind of expecting more. Was there a reason for it not being a bigger card? And what was on the TV show six days earlier to set this thing up? So you had a lot going on at one time. Yeah, we did, man. Uh, it was it was certainly happening uh, when the champion came to town. Uh, that first question uh, you just asked about uh, what was the reason uh, for not having a bigger card? If, if there was a reason, you know, and uh, and it, it has a lot to do with that subject that we've been discussing lately on pretty much every stud cast. It points toward that Knoxville War of 1979. Uh, so we're going to get back to that question later today. We'll answer that before the break in today's show. But right now, I want to focus on the TV show. And uh, there was so much going on in this stud cast that then I'm not going to be able to go into as much detail as I normally do on TV shows, especially since we're going to touch on two weeks of TVs in this southeastern Knoxville area. So the first TV on Saturday, September 16th, 1978, was absolutely loaded with talent. Great matches, videos, and interviews. It added all. And it started out with the new southeastern tag champions, Jimmy Golden and Kevin Sullivan, and they were returning from their first appearance ever outside the Southeastern Knoxville territory. And uh, they opened up the show with Les and uh, they were coming. Uh, they, they, there was a still shot behind them on the set as always. And it was in an unrecognizable building for fans that had seen the Coliseum and some of the other buildings. They, they didn't recognize where this was coming from. The building was packed with fans and it came from Dothan, Alabama. And that still shot the, uh, it showed them presenting the Southeastern belts uh, to Jimmy Golden and Kevin Sullivan after they had beaten Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. So for the first time, we'd send a Southeastern match south to the other territory. And for the first time ever, Southeastern Knoxville fans, when they saw this video, they got to see what fans uh, were like in other parts of the country. 
six days later, Jimmy Golden, Kevin Sullivan, Sullivan were defending their newly won belts back in the Knoxville Coliseum. And before that, they were going to be back later in the show for a TV match itself. So Ron Wright had his team in the ring for the very first TV match. These guys finish up at the set. And uh, while Ron Wright had his boys primed, uh, they made a loud statement, man. They left both their opponents laying. Jeez, uh, uh, they, were, they were really ready to get their belts back. And then, and then Wright took them to the set. And uh, he had a lot to say, as Ron Wright usually did. And uh, he took up the entire first interview, as a matter of fact. And he talked about being their manager and not being allowed to make the 500-mile trip with his team deep into the state of Alabama, and that caused his team to lose. You know, and he, he said, you know, and, you know, now it's time, you know, for Jimmy Golden and Kevin Sullivan to get a good old Tennessee dog whooping <laughs> from my team. Here we go. With me being there, and when it's over, he said, I'm going to strap them belts back on these boys and I put the champs' belts around their waist again, you know. So, uh, and then fans always, they love to hate Ron, right? what it was i think it I mean i think it was more it was more of a love-hate relationship with the fans then in the second tv match great malenko he stomped another opponent into oblivion then went to the set with Les, and he watched an interview that was made earlier in dothan uh with robert uh and he had his huge southeastern trophy uh, and he was talking about not only successfully defending his trophy but he had the opportunity to beat Malenko and win the Southeastern belt as well. And that that was going to be on the Friday night, six nights later. And then to follow that up, uh, Rob wished his good friend, Ronnie Garvin, they were best of friends, uh, the best of luck the next Friday against the world champion. Uh, Malenko took the rest of the interview. And uh, as Malenko always was, he was extremely confident that he was going to own both the TV championship trophy and the Southeastern belt when he finished with Robert Fuller. Uh, Then the personality profile was filled with interviews about the huge upcoming Friday night card. Had so many matches on it with so many big names that, uh, you know, profile had to, we had to, couldn't get everybody into all the interview slots. We stuck people into the profile as well. And uh, I started it off with an interview I'd done from Dothan at the TV the day after the last week's stud cast card, the day after Jimmy Golden and Sullivan had won the Southeastern belts in that same city in Dothan. And uh, the one that they, the match that they had just shown when they opened up this TV and then gorgeous George Jr. He followed, you know, he, he followed it. Uh, and, uh, and he started off with, you know, the, he started an interview with it, followed his interview uh, with the stomper. Done on the same day as mine, talking about the match between the Stomper and myself, which was going to play, take place six days later. And then Les said the big interview, uh, mostly anticipated by the fans, obviously, was next. And that was the NWA world champion, Harley Race. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and this one, uh, you'd have loved this one, Dave. Uh, he had done it the week before from his boat on the Lake of the Ozarks in Whoa. Missouri. Are you kidding? Wow. Yeah. Right out there in his boat, man. Uh, you know, and he had a day off and uh, he wanted to talk about uh, the, who he was going to wrestle yeah. in Southeastern. Yeah. So Les yeah. said, as best he could remember, that 
that uh, that the our boy uh, Harley uh, bragged about how good it was to be the real champion <laughs> and how he was on top of the wrestling world and he was absolutely unbeatable and how he was very familiar with the Canadian Ronnie Garvin mm-hmm. that this was Garvin's first and probably last chance at his 10 pounds of gold <laughs> and uh and then he talked about how people living in Tennessee, especially those on the eastern side of the state, uh, and he said something about it being that deprived part of America known as the Appalachians. You know, he said they. He said I hear they love that Canadian there. You know, and uh, and then he says he heard that they called him Fist the Stone, and the One Man Gang. Mm. And uh, wow. so. Then he said, let's said, he said something about, you know, that it was time for the Canadian and all his fans to find out what a real man was all about, that his fist of stones was going to become a fist of broken bones. And his one man gang <laughs> was about to end with a big bang. <laughs> it didn't make much difference to him whether they came from Canada, Australia, <laughs> Europe. Russia, because he was the baddest man on God's green earth. Dude. All right, listen. What what always amazes me in every story that you tell about Harley Race is how he puts his opponent over. How he puts the town that he's going to over. And it's absolutely amazing. It's not always about him. And he he really add, he just adds to it so well. That's just amazing. Listen, I don't know how many others out there love these Harley Race interviews like I do, but dude, it's so cool to hear hear them recreated like this. This TV was really great so far. So, I mean, how do you end it? What what's next? Well, it was time for uh, Jimmy Golden and Ned, Kevin Sullivan uh, tag match on this TV, and uh, fans were obviously happy to have them home, and uh, and they showed it. Uh, the boys wore their belts in there. They had just won the belts, even though they won them in the state of Alabama rather than Tennessee, and uh, they uh, they barely the the fans were so into it they barely sat down during the whole tag match. Left said, and uh, and they were wrestling against Ted Allen and Tony Peters, uh, pretty good guys for for competition and then jim and kevin took the entire third interview to promote fans uh you know to promise the fans that they were not going to be beaten uh and this big huge championship card the following friday night uh ronnie garvin closed out the show by oh wow <laughs> les told me he said he pulverized everybody, but he says this was just oh, he said I felt so sorry for the guy, and he, you know, he said he Ronnie was trying to prove he was ready to win the <laughs> NWA World Title, and uh, and he said he made the last interview, and he was pretty angry about what Harley Race had said about him earlier. He put him over, but then he kind of knocked him at the very end. So <laughs> Les said he yeah. focused on being Canadian, you know, and the yeah. fact that no Canadian other than only one, Gene Koninsky, had ever won the NWA world title. And then he said, Ronnie said, I'm going to change wrestling history next Friday night. I'm going to be the second Canadian to be world champion. Wow. I'd say that TV show certainly set up the next Friday night for sure. So so let's talk about the Knoxville Coliseum. What happens there? Well, Terry Gibbs, Gibbs uh, beat Gorgeous George Jr., 
Uh, Rip Smith won his match uh, over Bob Roop, but it was by disqualification. Roop, uh, Roop did something really horrible to him. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, the, was, the referee had no choice. Uh, and uh, I, I won the match against the Mongolian Stomper. Then Jimmy Golden and Kevin Sullivan, they, they lost the Southeastern tag belts back to Dennis Condry and Phil Hickerson. But it wasn't Ron Wright's interference that made it happen. Uh, Ron Wright uh, tried to interfere, uh, but Kevin Sullivan caught him coming in the ring, and he had him down, and he was really pounding old Ron Wright when Bob Root, who was not involved in the match at all, came down to the ring, and uh, and uh, he, ca he caused uh, Ron Wright's team to get themselves a victory. He hit Sullivan with an object, knocked him unconscious. Uh, Dennis Condry pinned Kevin, and uh, that was it. Uh, the the back the belts went back to Condry and uh, Hickerson. Hmm. Then the great Malenko <laughs> won the match in the Southeastern TV trophy for my brother Rob, and uh, he kept his Southeastern belt as well. So he's he's carrying all the all the hardware, man. Uh, at that at this point, hmm. uh, the NWA World Title match between Harley Race and Ronnie Garvin ended in a sixty minute time limit draw. Uh, wow. Less you know, and I watched this match. Wow, it was so good. My gosh, uh, Harley was just phenomenal. Didn't make any difference who he was wrestling. Ronnie Garvin was a grinder, man. And mm. this 60-minute match, uh, everyone in the building was on their feet for the last five minutes. I mean, at the five-minute mark, always the announcer would go five minutes left in the match. Mm -hmm. uh, these people, half of them were on their feet. The other half stood up. They never sat down the last five minutes of that match. Wow. And the, and the fans, and I've been in that crowd before, the, the fans are exhausted when the 60 minutes is, is up. Listen, I think you said earlier that the next day after this world title event, Harley was going to wrestle on TV and that night in Kentucky again for the title. Correct. You know, and, uh, Harley was an all-business champion, man, uh, especially if you had ideas that were going to enhance the crowd when he came back the next time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had a great relationship with Harley. Uh, he loved to work for me. Uh, he had, I paid him very, very well. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, I had a great idea for that return when he came back. And, wow, we're going to get to that next week. Uh, we'll uh, – We'll get into exactly what that TV entailed and uh, what Harley did for us on that television. Well, come on now. What were you going to do with him on TV? Come well, on. Well, uh, you know, it hates a lot like it is with a lot of other things, Dave. It's got to come in time, and uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna give the answer to that one on the next studcast. Yeah, but fair. I will tell everybody about the rare NWA World Title defense in the state of Kentucky that night. Cool. I mean, uh, Kentucky was a very very strange place. Uh, didn't have too many television stations. Uh, didn't have too many big cities. They hardly ever had a world championship match. And this one in Hazard really was big time for them, and especially with Ronnie Garvin, who was really over tremendously. Uh, and Hazard, Kentucky, was only about 140 miles north of Knoxville. Uh, the Knoxville TV stations uh, signal didn't quite get all the way to Hazard, but we had we were on the local Hazard TV station. They had their own TV, and we'd had our television program there. Mm -hmm. And now we're bringing a world championship match there. Uh, and so uh, we booked the same card as Knoxville. 
the night before. But we changed the first match um, from the Gibbs versus the GG to the Terry Gibbs uh, versus Ted Allen. And, uh, and then we took my match with the Stomper off the card entirely. Uh, we took Robert out of the Southeastern title match with Malenko. Uh, and we replaced Rob with Tommy Rich, who happened to be a heavy-duty dude at that point uh, in time, 1978. Mm -hmm. And uh, – and, uh, and, and left that as a title match. So it was a championship match between Malenko and Tommy Rich. Mm -hmm. It was a five-match card instead of six. Mm -hmm. And the biggest change in the finishes was Harley got disqualified. Uh, he did not – they did not have a 60-minute, what I used to call Broadway, man, mm -hmm. one of those matches that just really, really took it out of you. Uh, and uh, uh, Harley – Garvin had him going, and Harley's in the back of the backed up into the turnbuckle, and Garvin's up there pounding him, and and uh, Harley just dumped him right over the rope. So <laughs> and then he got himself disqualified, but he got Garvin's hand raised, and boy, it left the fans happy. You know, uh, gosh, it was a huge crowd. Uh, it was five thousand people in a town that probably only had uh, eight thousand people in the whole city. Wow. Yeah. Well, I, I, I got to ask you, too, it had to be pretty exciting for Ronnie Garvin to wrestle these two matches against Harley Race. Did he, I mean, he had to feel really special at, at that point about his status in the company. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was special. He was a special talent, man. And uh, well, years later, when he goes into North Carolina, mm -hmm. he's going to win that world belt again. He's going to take it off of Flair. Wow, yeah. So you know he's, yeah. he's he 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 was a bona fide talent and uh, yeah he was really proud and he worked that way in the ring. Lo uh, I would have loved to seen those two matches that that those two had. That that's awesome. All right, so let's talk about attendance in both cities, the gross houses and payoffs for Harley and Garvin. I, I love when you tell about how you and Harley meet privately in the dressing room after the show. Yeah, you know, Knoxville had the first uh, four rows of ringside for his this event in Knoxville where all the golden circles. So each one of those tickets for the first four rows of ringside were $10 each. We had the maximum capacity seating uh, that we had done since that match in 1977 where me and Hardy set the all-time record there. Uh, we kept that same seating arrangement. Uh, the tickets prices were just a shade lower on ringside for this one than they were for that one in April of 1977. But the average ticket price was about $6 a ticket. Mm -hmm. uh, they were, the attendance was 5,950. Wow. Wow. Uh, they, they said that this Coliseum only seated about 5,500 for wrestling, but mm -hmm. you know, somehow they got 5,950 in there. Uh, and the gross house was $38,000. Uh, Harley got paid $3,000. Wow. And Ronnie Garvin got paid $900. Wow. Uh, and I, I went to pay Harley. Uh, but uh, in this trip, it was a little bit different because he was going to be there four times rather than one. Mm -hmm. I paid him the first night, and I didn't pay him again until the last night when he finishes up in Alabama. So, uh he got his his first three thousand dollars of this trip, and mm -hmm. then Garvin got nine hundred. Uh, Hazard, Kentucky, uh, 
that that city had a lower ticket price, obviously, than Knoxville. It mm-hmm. averaged about five dollars a ticket, but they had four thousand nine hundred fans in that building. Uh, the Gross House was twenty five thousand dollars, right at twenty five thousand. Harley got two thousand dollars, and Ronnie Garvin got six hundred for this one. Wow! And I'll, I'll wait at the end of the end of the uh, studcast, and I'll tally up all four of the events, and uh, we'll get the figures for everything at the end of it. Cool. All right. Did you say you were going to give us the reason for the Knoxville card not being quite as big as maybe it should have been? Yeah. 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 I said, I said, we, I would talk about this. So, so what had happened is Rob had gone had left to Knoxville. He had gone to Southeastern uh, uh, Pensacola down there, Gulf coast. And, uh, and I had to have a booker up there because I was still committed to that Gulf Coast territory at that point. So I had made Bob Root the booker uh, three weeks earlier, on the right after the Mink Coat World Title Tournament event. And Roop had been in the territory for almost five months at this point. And, uh, and he had some booking experience. So, I, you know, I felt like uh, he, he might be the guy. So uh, Rob, like I said, had already left Southeastern Gulf Coast. Bob Armstrong was down there, but he was the main event guy, man, and he wasn't ready to be moved north at that time. He was so over in that territory. Uh, And I was kind of uh, obligated to stay down south a little longer myself. So Roop had a tough little spot on his hands. He had to replace pretty quickly Don Carson, Robert, the Mongolian Stomper mm. and Gorgeous George Jr. Wow, uh, you know, uh, wow. So that's a, that's a pretty heavy duty deal. <laughs> and he had, uh, but he had already got. He already had one talent already on the books and was coming. Mm-hmm. A guy that had been there before and was really over. Tor Tanaka was mm-hmm. coming back, returning mm-hmm. to Knoxville. But the other names he had mentioned to me were not nearly as strong as Tanaka. A pretty good heel named Ken Dillinger was coming, and Mike Stallings from Southeastern Gulf Coast was on his way up there. So obviously the four wrestlers that had just left were much stronger than what he had coming at this point, but it was uh, just too soon to make any prediction of how he was going to do. You know, I wanted to give him every opportunity to see how he would do. I think he didn't put a a, a sixth, uh, seventh match on the card Mm -hmm. uh, because – I think he wanted to find out for himself, can we draw money with six matches? If we can, we can pay our wrestlers even more money. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that, that's not a bad idea either. So Yeah. Hey, wow. I got to tell you, this is a great first half so far. When we come back after the break, we're going to be following the NWA world champion, Harley Race South, to find out how well he was going to do in the Southland. That is on the way as this Studcast continues in a moment right here. Studcasts have become a way of life for old school wrestling fans. No one tells wrestling history like Ron Fuller Welch. Fans learned so much about what was really going on when the sport was at its very best. From one of the greatest storytellers of all time, learn the inner workings of the industry that you'll find nowhere else. 
If you enjoy what you hear today, please tell others where to find us. As always, thank you for your support. Don't forget Ron's fantastic streaming channel, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. You not only hear about what he's done, but you also see it as well. Southeastern, Continental, and USA TV shows, stud stories, stars of the sport, and superstars of the past series, and so much more. For the complete experience, visit and subscribe for only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. Don't miss the one-week free trial happening right now. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com Okay, Studcast fans, welcome back in episode number 269. Both territories got Harley Race. That's what this episode is called. All right, Stud, so I think we're going to be riding south from here. Yes, sir. We're going in the southeastern Gulf Coast, and uh, Harley's going to be making his first appearance in, in that territory. And Harley and I had many conversations already about what I was doing with my two territory operations. Uh, Harley, other than being a great wrestler, he was a student of the game. Uh, he w- had been a booker. Uh, he was a part owner with Bob Geigel of the Kansas City Territory. Uh, he was looking forward to finding out what was going to happen down there. You know, uh, he, he was just as excited about it as I was. So uh, let's start this second half of the studcast with the cards for the two southeastern Gulf Coast cities, Montgomery and Mobile, Alabama that were getting the NWA championship matches. That because they were on a Monday and a Tuesday, that was the Mobile and the Montgomery days. Uh, we obviously wanted to run our same towns on these days, uh, the regular days, just to add them a better card. So they were almost uh, 200 miles apart, basically, Mobile, south of Montgomery, uh, down Interstate 65. And because we'd only been in business at this point for about six months, we felt that very few fans, if any, were going to go from Mobile to Montgomery or vice versa. So each city had its own TV, and uh, and the overlap of the two stations wasn't very much. So uh, therefore, we decided to run the same card in both cities, but make sure we, to change the finishes just in case some fans did travel to both the shows. Hmm. All right. So is that something that was commonly done in other territories? Is that Was that the, the way it was done? Well, in, in the big territories, uh, with cities far apart, it was done quite often that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, by 1985, when we added Birmingham, northern Alabama, Mississippi, uh, back into Tennessee and up into Kentucky again, and, and we changed the name to Continental, uh, we didn't have to be concerned about it. Some of the cities back in that time frame were 800 miles apart. Right, yeah, and I can't see anybody making that kind of drive, even if the wrestling uh, was that fantastic, and it was. But So let's talk about the card in both Montgomery, Alabama, September 25th, 1978, and the next night in Mobile, Alabama. Now, somebody could have jumped on Interstate 65, and what, maybe three, four hours later, they could be there. Yeah, yeah, they could, they could, but they could do it probably in uh, three and a half, yeah. four hours. Yeah, no. So and and I and I have no doubt some of them did. And, you know, we had some great wrestling fans. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Mike Stallings opened this night against the uh, Lord Raven. Uh, Tony Charles wrestled against David Schultz. Uh, two great ones right there. Uh, Ron Horn uh, faced a Mongolian Stomper, managed by Gorgeous George Jr. 
My brother was taking on Don Carson in a no disqualification match. And there was a six man tag match. Uh, the loser of the fall had to leave Gulf Coast. So, you know, a lot at stake in this one, uh, Ricky and Robert Gibson and Charlie Cook against the Assassins and Billy Spears, who was going to be in the ring, actually wrestling in that match. Mm. Billy was the one likely to leave <laughs> and not be able to keep from getting beat. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a, a very interesting match there, that six-man tag. And then there was a Gulf Coast Championship match with me defending against the hometown Montgomery hero that they hadn't seen in many years, Jimmy Golden. <laughs> and then there was the NWA World Championship on all, top of all that, Harley Race facing off against Bob Armstrong. And Jimmy Golden was a good-looking young man back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they loved him, and he, he spent most of his uh, young life in Montgomery, Alabama. Yeah. So uh, they knew him very well there. Oh, That's my God. why I wanted to put him on that card. So we got to put Jimmy on this card. Yeah. Now, so there I'm bringing somebody from the Northern Territory South. Yeah. He enjoyed walking to the ring better than anybody. All right. Really, that's one of the best cards I've ever seen. Four great opening matches, a loser of the fall leaves, six-man tag, a Gulf Coast title match, and the NWA world title match. So what was on the TV that set this incredible card up? Well, first of all, the Stomper and Gigi uh, uh, had to – we were up there basically on Friday night and – uh we all had to go back to Dothan for TV for Saturday. So the Stomper and Gigi had to get in their car and drive from Knoxville, basically close to 500 miles south down there to Dothan. Robert and I had to get in, in my car, and we drove basically pretty much most of all night to get back down to Dothan so we could be on the TV there the next day to, because we're going to be plugging the upcoming other big world championship matches. Mm -hmm. So the Southeastern Gulf Coast TV was going to be absolutely loaded that day. So since there was no Gordon Soley anymore, mm -hmm. uh, we started to occasionally put guests on there with Charlie Platt. And on this show, I was the host with Charlie, supposed to be there for the entire show. And he welcomed me on the opening. And uh, I had the Gulf Coast belt in front of me, uh, sitting at the set with him. And uh, when I began the show, and I began it obviously by bragging about having the belt for a record length of time now as the champion. And, uh, and as every other great champion, I said, uh, I'm going to be defending it on all these big world championship cards coming to this part of the country. So Charlie covered uh, David Schultz uh, having made some recent challenges in the arenas uh, to TV champion Tony Charles to defend his trophy against him on TV. He wanted to wrestle Tony Charles for the uh, TV trophy, this program. But uh, Gulf Coast officials wasn't going to allow it because uh, they didn't think it was time yet to, uh, for Tony to have to defend his title. And uh, they uh, put these, but they said uh, what they would do, <laughs> David Schultz said, what they would do is they'll let you wrestle Tony Charles in every building. <laughs> so uh, Schultz, I don't think it's really what he wanted. He's not going to get any hardware for it. But, uh, you know, he, he took it. So 
So they were going to be on these cards that were coming up uh, before considering, the, you know, uh, giving him another TV trophy match. Uh, then we jump right into this loaded show, man. As the ring announcer, he introduced uh, the, the one wrestler was already in the ring. We used to do that a lot there in the Dothan show. Uh, one of the wrestlers would go to the ring. And I don't think anybody, Dave, had forgotten about that introduction last week of the Mongolian Stomper on TV, <laughs> right? And especially the people in the studio, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, uh, they seemed like they were almost prepared, man, when he busted out of that door <laughs> for the first match on the show. And here he went charging that crowd again. Uh, prepared or not, man, it created the same type of pandemonium that it had the week before, man. I mean, maybe even more so, man. At least half of the two bleachers full of people ran for the exit and the other kid under the bleachers. Right. There's like 10 people sitting on two sets of bleachers when, when the stopper got in the ring. So uh, Stomper couldn't, you know, and uh, Gorgeous George trying to hold him back, but, you know, he couldn't do it. And, uh, you know, when Stomper felt like he, he had terrorized the crowd enough, he turned his attention to the ring and the poor wrestler that was in it. And then Al Roberts, who was the, you know, the announcer there, uh, Al, <laughs> he'd headed for the hills because Stomper came charging in the ring and ran right past him and started into this boy. And, uh <laughs> Match didn't last very long. Uh, Stomper put his size 14 boots, man, in this kid's face several times before Ooh. he finally pinned him, man. It was, it was pretty horrible. And, um, you know, but I was on there with Charlie, and I didn't get to say too much, but, but I was on there long enough with Charlie that he asked me. I guess he saw the Stomper, and that brought this to, to his mind. Mm -hmm. He asked me if I ever wrestled this man before. Mm-hmm. And I answered yes, but I told him I'd rather not talk about it, that this individual and that we're talking, you're looking at, Charlie, he's not right in the head, you know. <laughs> and, he, and I said, he, he, he's most likely to do most anything to anybody. Uh -huh. <laughs> that guy's truly dangerous. I see what you're setting up here, stud. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> I, so I left the set uh, as they were hauling off the Stomper's victim because the gorgeous George uh, – had, was bringing his monster to the set, and uh, they were joined there at the set for the first interview by David Schultz. So Gigi had a little to say, uh, and his stomper was his wow stomper was wired, and he was just out of control, and he was making these horrible faces like he used to do on uh, on some of the shows. If, if fans watch the, uh, if they are if they're on our our streaming channel. Uh, ClassicContinentalWrestling.com and watch some of these Southeastern shows with the Stomper. Mm -hmm. You know exactly what I was talking about. He was mm -hmm. looking right into the camera and he would blow his face up and he would hoo, hoo. It was yeah. <laughs> he, he was trying to get control, but uh, you know he couldn't do much. So he, about all Gigi got out was, you know, look at him, my Mongol. He's ready for some championships. <laughs> so, you know, he needs some real competition. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I guess uh, they, they kind of, that made you kind of feel sorry for the wrestlers. He, he said, uh, I think uh, he made some comment about, I'm even sorry for the guys he's wrestling this week because <laughs> they don't have any belts. They don't have anything he can win. Hmm. So, so Stomper and Gigi left the set, and then uh, Charlie threw it to Tony Charles, who was in another studio. 
David Schultz has yet to say anything. And Tony said, he, you know, he was sorry about the officials not allowing him to defend his TV trophy because every time that Schultz said to made the challenge to him, he accepted the challenge. But he said, I'll be more than willing to, to defend it anytime they want. You know, uh, mm. uh, I, I'm not trying to dodge anybody, basically. So mm. then uh, mm. Dr. D said, you know, he was tired of beating up Tony Charles every week and getting nothing to show for it. He said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired of this. I beat him yeah. up every week, and I'd never get nothing for it, you know. <laughs> and then he said, obviously, whoever's making the decisions around here, uh-huh. they don't want me to be their TV champion. And uh, that fact – he says it's going to be a real bad deal for Tony Charles because I'm going to hurt him bad. <laughs> so, oh, David wow. Schultz was a he was a character, man. Wow, so he made some great interviews. <laughs> That's how you start a TV show, right there, terrorizing the studio audience right off the bat. That had to get everybody's attention. All right, so so what was next? Well, since we're, nobody in the Gulf Coast uh, part of the country was familiar with with me and Rob. Uh, you know, it was kind of time to lay a little foundation for for the differences between the two Fuller brothers. And mm-hmm. uh, so I went back to the set and uh, and the bald headed man with the black glove, Don Carson, who had only been there three weeks. He was the next guy in the ring. So Charlie Platt, while uh, opened the conversation uh, immediately by asking me the same question he'd asked me in the first match about the stomper. He asked me if I'd ever wrestled Don Carson and mm-hmm. uh, before. And, then, you mm-hmm. know, but before I got an opportunity to answer it, Rob came to the set. Now, he was going to be wrestling Carson in an ODQ match on these two world championship cards later in the week. So uh, when he came, you know, he, he, he had a reason to be there, and it was a pretty good reason. So as soon as he arrived, you know, I told Charlie I wasn't going to be associating with my brother, and uh, he could have my seat at the set, but that's all he could have of mine. <laughs> and then I just I stormed off the set. Hmm. So, so while Don Carson was dealing with his opponent in the ring, Rob was dealing with Charlie Platt's questions about his and my relationship. And uh, match went on for a little bit, and uh, so I, and I'm sure some fans. Uh, uh, maybe fans all over the world had rarely seen two brothers that didn't stand up for each other, you know, and it had to be a big question mark for all the fans out there watching, uh, you know, like what in the heck is going on with these two guys? And and that made it kind of intriguing. And, uh, and maybe, uh, you know, it, it also made it maybe a never before done angle where two brothers didn't get along. And uh, so Charlie asked Rob, uh, yeah, very good question. He says, why are two brothers sons of one of the most famous stars in Gulf Coast wrestling history, mm-hmm. your father, Buddy Fuller, exact opposites? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, so Rob told him, you know, he said, uh, Charlie, it, it hasn't always been that way. He said uh, that uh, one other time in Ron's career, uh, uh, he decided to take some shortcuts and that guys like Don Carson up in the ring now, kind of like that guy, you know, and he says, uh, they actually, he said, he told the story. He said four years ago in Tennessee, uh, uh, Ron, Ron was willing to turn his back on his fans, on me, his brother, and even on my father to win the Southern heavyweight championship. Uh, 
So he said, I finally saw, you know, he said, finally then, you know, Ron kind of straightened out a little bit and uh, he saw the light and he kind of found himself. But uh, he says, we hadn't talked, he and I, in quite a while. And uh, and I had no idea, he said, when I started down here that, uh, that he had gone back to being the same nasty, arrogant wrestler that he was four years ago. Mm. He said, I, I didn't know this. This is what I was going to find. And and then he said, but but I really, he says, I want to thank the fans out here for accepting me in spite of what kind of man Ron is. <laughs> well, like, I'm a good guy. Thank gosh, they like me, you know, and uh, uh, Ron's got to do his own thing. So, hmm. so about that time in the conversation, Don Carstens finished his opponent. And obviously he, he used his peanut butter back glove. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then just like the TV opened the week before, the Stomper and Don Carson opponents both had to be carried out. And last week's show, he wrestled in the first two matches and both of their opponents were carried out. That happened in this show too. So Rob was about to leave when Charlie asked him to stay for a short video. He says, uh, he said, you know, Rob, you said something here about Ron that's – that had to do with uh, that kind of what we've just talked about. And uh, he says, uh, and said something about, you know, me turning my back, you know, that I, that he turned his back on you. So Rob sat back down and then the video began and it, it went to a match between Rob and Don Carson. It showed Rob kicking Carson's butt, man. When gorgeous George jr. Came down to help Carson. And then they were both working Carson over uh, when the cameras got a shot of me. It was actually the match from the Friday before, and uh, and I stood there and didn't go to the ring. And I was standing in the back of the building and what, watching what was going on without lifting a hand to go help Rob. And uh, you could hear the huge crowd, man, and it was a big crowd in uh, the Farm Center, man, that night, 5,000 or so. And they were booing me and throwing things at me, and, uh, and I finally turned and went back in the dressing room uh, and just let them go ahead and beat my brother. So uh, – so Rob hadn't seen this. And he was like dumbfounded. And he said, Charlie, I've never seen this before. He goes, is that what he did last week while they were beating me up? He mm -hmm. stood back there and watched it, and he did nothing to help me. And he told Charlie, he says, I don't, I don't know what to say about it. You know, he goes, uh, I think he's sunk to the lowest level ever, in my opinion, man. What? Mm. And then he got he got really kind of uh, kind of touched by it. He, he got tears, little tears in his eyes, and he got up and left the set. Hmm. Wow, that's a pretty powerful video right there, especially with Robert going up against Don Carson again all week in no disqualification matches. So, all right. So, what about the next interview? Well, Don Carson and Robert uh, were both on him. Carson was at the set, and he went first, and he was extremely happy to see the video. And and, and he said, uh, now you know he he didn't have to be worried now about Robert's brother getting involved, you know. And he invited the gorgeous George Jr. to come out of the dressing. Come here, George. Come on out here, you know. And uh, and they were high fiving each other, and then he continued bragging that. That he was he was finally going to get his revenge for Robert Fuller, costing him to cut his hair and shave his head, you know, and uh, and his brother ain't going to try to stop us, right? So uh, Gigi, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, he got real, real all into it, man. And uh, they were, he says, you know, GG brought up the fact, hey, it's a no DQ match means you can do anything. And so can I. Can go down there too, you know, and uh, you can we can do all these nasty things to him and then beat him too. So then uh, Charlie threw it over to Rob, who was in another studio. And uh, mm-hmm. Rob, obviously, in these interviews like this, you could hear what the other guy says. Mm-hmm. And so Rob's head was kind of down, man. And uh, and he, he, you could see, so was his attitude, you know. And and he, but he did say, you know, it really didn't matter who else got involved against him in this upcoming match. That Don Carson was going to show up at ringside alone. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And then before anybody else could get to the ring, he said, I'm going to add a broken leg to Don Carson's bald head. <laughs> All right. That's some serious stuff right there, stud. This match just became a lot more important. It seems like. All right, so what about the personality profile after all of this? Well, Charlie was set, you know, on the set by himself, uh, prepared to show an interview from Harley Race. But first, because uh, there were two territories, uh, he showed an actual world title match from Knoxville, Tennessee, from June of 1977 with Bob Armstrong against Harley Race. Uh, wow, it's beautiful to have that kind of stuff, man. We had saved that. And, uh, you know, so it was a phenomenal way to give fans an idea of what they're about to see a few days later. Uh, it was about three minutes uh, of, of the end of the match. Uh, there was 5,000, close to 6,000 fans packing the Chilhowee Park Amphitheater. Uh, and uh, and so Harley, we had talked to Harley about uh, sending us an interview, and we and then we told him we're going to show this match, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to get to this point, and this is where we want you to start out with your interview. So mm-hmm. Harley knew how we were going to present the interview uh, that he was cutting, and he cut this interview in Tampa, Florida, and uh, and when he sent it to us, it tied that match and his interview together perfectly. Mm-hmm. The video showed Armstrong with Harley in a sleeper hole. Time was running out. And then, uh, out of you know, the, they had seen about the three or four minutes of it, and boom, <laughs> there comes Harley. And then Harley suddenly appears live. He's on the screen. <laughs> and he tells fans right off the bat, he says, I know y'all ought to not get too excited about what you just saw there. You know, <laughs> he says, uh, he says, very few men have ever gotten it close to beating me. And he says, it's never going to happen again. That, uh, that he says, I am the undisputed NWA world heavyweight champion, best of all time, and wrestled the finest and best in all the sport every night. Hmm. And then he says, uh, as you talked about earlier, Dave, you're going to love this. He said he had beaten them all. And he said, and Bob Armstrong is certainly one of the best. Wow. He said yeah. he's as strong as an ox. He said he's been trained in the Marines. He saved lives as a fireman. He said he was even the National Wrestling Alliance Rookie of the Year in 1965. Wow. Yeah. He said, but he says it isn't going to do him any good <laughs> in the Gulf Coast or anywhere else. Because he said, I'm the greatest wrestler on God's green Green earth. earth. He is such a freaking pro. And he knows, he knows that much about the people that he's about to get in the ring with. Uh, That is so cool. 
how he does that. I absolutely love that. That is a class, and that's a classic line. And I, I'm sorry, but I have to say it with you: the greatest wrestler on God's green earth. All right, that's so cool. All right, so how do you follow that, Stud? <laughs> well, like this, Dave. Uh, Charlie was about to throw it to the ring uh, when uh, I, I came on camera with him, you know, and and I was mad about his showing that video to my brother, you know, earlier about me just standing there and watching them beat the mm-hmm. crap out of him. <laughs> You know? mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, so then I asked him, I said, Charlie, why is it that I'm not scheduled for an interview on this show? Because I'm defending my championship belt on this upcoming world championship cards. You know, what the heck is going on here? And uh, and he says, well, you know, well, well, I was going to give you your turn later in the show. And uh, and I was mad at him. Man, and I, I told him, no, I said. You're not, you're not going to wait. You're going to give me my turn right now. And uh, so he said, okay. He says, if you're ready, uh, let me show you a brief interview from your opponent. You know, and I didn't know who I was wrestling. It didn't make really any difference to me, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. and he says, uh, I'm sure you're going to recognize this guy instantly. <laughs> so, next face on the screen. Uh, <laughs> all over the Gulf Coast down there was Jimmy Golden. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, he wasn't, obviously, he'd not been in that Gulf Coast area very much, so he wasn't rec- recognized by everybody, but he was definitely going to be a future star in the Gulf Coast, I can tell you that. But he was extremely recognizable to everybody sitting in that Montgomery, watching that Montgomery TV. All of those fans, I can hear them right now screaming, oh, Jimmy Golden's going to wrestle Ron Fuller. Uh, He had started his wrestling career here, you know, back there in uh, Montgomery, and he was an instant star there. So... I went crazy on Charlie, man. I started screaming, uh, who's responsible for this joke, man? I go, uh, you know, that's my cousin. Uh, that's Jimmy Golden. He, he wrestled here in Alabama recently. Him and Kevin Sullivan just won the Southeastern Tag Belts last week. Uh, I told him, I, I can't wrestle against my father's sister's son for the Gulf Coast Championship. Mm. Because <laughs> I said, I'm used to hurting people but not my own flesh and blood. <laughs> so Charlie said, uh, Charlie said, and he, and he was, re- he was really right. You know? And he says, well, he says, I have a hard time believing that Ron. He go, after the video we just showed you standing and watching your brother get beat up by two men and you left him. And, uh, oh, I flipped out. I went for him and I started to grab him and Rob had come out. And he stepped in behind me and he grabbed me around the waist and, uh, and I kind of shook him off my back and I turned, I saw who it was and I just left the set. I went, I went back to the dressing room. So Charlie was pretty shaken after the incident and, uh, and he was about to throw it to the ring announcer and he's going to get another, <laughs> he's going to get another surprise because Billy Spears and his assassins come to the set and they surprised Charlie and they were asking, uh, you know, uh, and they, they, they didn't even tell Charlie that they had talked to Wayne Register early and they wanted to, he, they, he told said, Charlie, we're going to run an unscheduled video here. And they, they showed a video in which Charlie Cook uh, uh, was watching a tag match between the Assassins and the Gibson brothers. And he saw Spears interfere and he came down to ringside 
and uh, Cook chased Billy Spears all the way all around the ring, and that caused one of Spears' assassins to get drop kicked. He was paying attention to what was going on, on the outside, and he got beaten by Ricky Gibson, and his team lost their tag belts. Mm. So mm. Spears now is very upset, and he said he had asked the Gulf Coast officials to put a stop to all the interference with him and his team and to put him in the ring with his men against the two Gibsons, the Gibson punks, he called them, and Charlie Cook. And he says, what I want to do, and they've agreed to it, is the loser of the fall in this six man leaves the Gulf Coast. Oh. All right. You were right, Ron. So the show really was loaded. So – all right, what did you follow the video with? Well, it was a six-man tag. I put Ricky and Robert Gibson and Charlie Cook in the ring. And, uh, wow, it was an action-packed match, man. Uh, and, uh, you know, they ended up, uh, you know, getting a big win. Uh, the, the Gibsons were now the tag champions, and uh, Charlie Cook is going to be their partner. And, and uh, there's a lot at stake in that particular match. Then it Got ready to have the end of the show, and who better to end the show with other than old Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, man? Here comes Bob Armstrong. <laughs> he closed it out, man. Another sleeper win. Great interview. Uh, all pointed directly toward Harley Race and the NWA world title. Now, that's a good TV show right there. All right. What about the result of the two world title cards in Montgomery and Mobile, Alabama? Okay, uh, Mike Stallings won his match over Lord Raven, who had turned out not to be such a good wrestler, and uh, it, I think that might have been in one of his last matches. Uh, Tony Charles and David Schultz, they wrestled to a 20-minute time limit draw. Uh, great match, as they all were with those two guys. Mongolian Stomper, uh, managed by Gorgeous George Jr., demolished this guy named Ron Horn that I wanted to take a look at. And uh, Ron Horn... I don't think ever wanted to wrestle Stomper again or anybody else. So uh, that was the end of him. Uh, uh, then uh, Robert Fuller and Don Carson had that no DQ match in Montgomery. And it ended with Robert getting a win. Uh, and I didn't go out and watch any part of it. Okay. But then that same match. Now we had the same card basically in Mobile. But in Mobile, I went and watched it, the same match in Mobile, and it was altogether different. I watched it. I watched the whole thing. Uh, Gorgeous George Jr. came down to the ring with Don Carson. Uh, at the end of the match, he got involved in the match. Uh, already Carson had hit Rob with the loaded glove, and Rob was bleeding pretty badly. And, uh, and then uh, Gorgeous George Jr. gets in there, and it appears, you know, uh, 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 Rob, Rob's fighting them back, both of them by himself. And, uh, and it appears he was going to win the match, man. Uh, in fact of all that. And then here comes the stomper added to the mix. And, uh, so now I'm standing back there in the back of the building and, uh, and it's three on one, two on one's pretty bad, but three on one. And then, mm -hmm. and then everybody in the building was on their feet and, uh, well, the, the, the crowd kind of surrounded me, man, and they almost started pushing me toward the ring. Like, go, go up there and help him go up. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, uh, I said, okay, here I go. And I took off, man. I ran down to the ring, and wow, that 
building exploded. And I started cleaning the house, man. And uh, pretty soon, old Rob got up on his feet, and he joined in with me. And uh, hmm. all three of those heels were gone to the dressing room. And it this left me and Rob standing in the middle of the ring alone, face to face. Wow. And, uh, and I thought there was no way the crowd could get any louder uh, than it had been when I went to the ring, but I was wrong. Wow. Uh, we looked at each other, and then we we grabbed each other, hugged, and I raised his hand, and that building exploded, man. It was goosebump time, Dave. Dude, I, I, can't, I can't imagine. Absolutely. I, I bet it was, no doubt. Uh, how, how did something like that feel? What was that like? Oh, it, it's unbelievable. It, it's the reason I love the sport, man. It, it was like uh, there was a – you know, and, and then there was a huge surprise in the in the next six-man tag, uh, in the next match, you know, where the loser was going to have to leave the Gulf Coast. And the last one fans would, thought would lose did. And Ricky Gibson got pinned. And I would have said Ricky would be the only one that would make it through all five of them. And, uh, and he was so over that when he lost, the crowd was so down – that uh, when he got out of the ring, him and his brother to come to the dressing room, they mobbed him. The fans mobbed him. They wanted to say goodbye to him. It was like it took him 10 minutes, it seemed like, to get to the dressing room. Every, wow. The fans were crying. Ricky was crying. Wow. It was it was a scene. It was a heck of a scene. Hmm. So, so then I got my match, you know. So, And so I go back to the ring and uh, – and I'm wrestling Jimmy Golden again, just as I had the night before. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, the night before in Montgomery, I, I'd end up uh, sneaking a win on him. You know, I kind of cheated and pulled his tights and mm -hmm. I got a win. But in Mobile, after I'd helped my brother, I certainly wasn't a heel any longer. When I went to the ring for that match, they were on my team, man. That, that crowd was really, really switched about my their opinion to me wow. you know? so me and jimmy had a baby face match a great baby face match wow jimmy is such a good wrestler man he could do it all and uh we had a beautiful finish and at the end of it we shook each other's hand and hugged each other at the end of it we got another big roar and applause from the crowd mm. then harley race and bob armstrong uh did the same thing in both the buildings they wrestled extremely hard, back-to-back, 60-minute -back, time limit draws, hmm. two nights in a row. Both nights, the crowd, the crowd gave them a standing ovation at the end of the match, man. It was the kind of match that made fans for a lifetime. People went home and talked about it forever, probably, you know, just mm -hmm. a – Great, 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 great run with Hardy. Wow. That's an amazing four nights in two territories. So let's talk about the attendance for both of those main event payoffs in Montgomery and Mobile and the tally for all four. I'm kind of curious. Personally, I want to see how much in four. You're talking four nights. I'm curious how much Harley took home in four nights in in 1978 this uh, so that's I want, i'm interested in that go ahead okay 
so Montgomery's in Montgomery's beautiful downtown Civic Center. Wow, it was a beautiful building, brand mm-hmm. new, man. Mm-hmm. We jacked it. We filled that sucker up. Five thousand fans. It, I don't know that it ever had five thousand people in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gross for that one was twenty-five thousand dollars. Harley got two thousand dollars. Wow. And Bob got seven hundred dollars. Mm. Now in Mobile, the next night we were in the big building. Thank goodness. And we had another record for our Southeastern run at this point. We had almost 7,500 fans. Mm. We had a gross house of $45,000. Yeah. Harley got $4,000 and Bob got $1,400. In these four nights, three of the four buildings sold out. Wow. And the only one that didn't was the Mobile Municipal Auditorium. And thank gosh, it was much bigger than those other buildings and it would hold more. In fact, we're going to put more than 10,000 in there. Well, I want to ask how over had it already been agreed with Harley or did was it determined by the the, the gross at the, the gate? What was determined? OK, tonight you get 4,000. Last night you got 2,000. What was what was the t- determining factor for that? Had, well, it, had it been predetermined? The the most of the arrangements for with promoters that were in the NWA, if you were mm-hmm. part of the NWA, mm-hmm. normally the champion got eight uh, percent of the of the house. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Yeah, All right. So it was right. pretty quick and easy to figure out what Harley's going to get. You know, so uh, at the end of all this, Ronnie Garvin got one thousand seven hundred dollars. Hmm. For the two nights that he worked with him, uh, in today's money, Dave, that would be seven thousand seven hundred dollars. Wow! In two nights, yeah. Bob Armstrong got two thousand one hundred dollars total for both nights, <laughs> which was worth nine thousand five hundred dollars in today's money. <laughs> uh, Harley race. And I waited until everybody had left the building. Uh, Harley was the last one there. We used to do this because I always wanted to pay him. Uh, like I said, I paid him the first night, the 3000 in Knoxville the first night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to Harley and uh, and I gave him 8000 more. Wow. Uh, which uh, I gave Harley $11,000 for four matches, uh, which was worth right at $50,000 in today's money. God almighty. Wow. So, and then the total gross for those four shows was $133,000, which was, which is like uh, $590,000 in today's money. Good God. For four, four nights. No doubt. Uh, Wow. So did was there was there a private conversation at the end? Surely yeah. you guys had a handshake and a hug. And what did Harley say? Harley said to me, uh, he said, Ron, he goes, uh, I always thought Knoxville was just an unbelievable town. And he says, mm-hmm. your territory, your little territory, he goes, it's just, it's truly amazing. Uh, he goes, but I think, Ron, this is your gold mine. Wow. This one down here. This one down here is your gold mine, Ron. Wow. Uh, you know, and I and uh, and he he made big money every time he came. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at eleven thousand uh, dollars, 
he was very happy with that. He was, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, but I, but I kept that thought, you know, he, he really impressed me with the fact that, uh, God. he, he realized that, that, uh, yeah. wow, that, uh, there was something special in that city. Mobile had that 40,000 people when my dad in 1958, yeah, I mean, yeah. so obviously God. it was a phenomenal wrestling city. And so to sum that up, you had Harley race. If you would call him a consultant, the ultimate consultant who said, this is your money machine down here. So you yeah. had, you had that as he was departing. So that had, that had to be just really, that had to be uh, pretty big for you. Listen, staggering figures. Uh, this has been so much fun. What a fun ride. No wonder this audience continues to grow like it does. And I got to tell you, if anybody else is a fan of these Harley race stories, like I am, Man, this one really has been a good one. You got to tell your friends. You can find us on 30 plus platforms all over everywhere around the world. So one of the best right here. You got to check it out. Listen on Facebook. The Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page is full of friends. Can't get can't get added on that page to become friends with Ron. You can go to his Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud Facebook page. You can like him, follow him there automatically become friends with a legend, a man who's interacted with Harley race Twitter. You follow him at Ron Fuller Welch on the website, tnstud.com tnstud.com. It's famous. Ron Fuller Welch has got everything there. Every stud cast ever done 43, three hour super stud cast. Every one of them right there. Legendary only two 99 each for three full hours. Shop the stud store, all kinds of souvenirs, personally autographed photos and items, T-shirts, and the thrilling lion novel Brutus. And you can get it autographed also. Southeastern, Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. you got to check it out, too. It's a great place to find your stud cast each week, as well as up-to-date info on Ron's fantastic streaming channel at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. The streaming channel now has 322 videos on it. Brutus now has eight great chapters, Ron's own audio version of Brutus, with him doing four characters. There are now 74 Southeastern TV shows on there, every one from 1978 through 1982, and now in the original order, their original order of production. How do you find it like that? Only right here. 23 Continental TV shows, 23 USA TV shows, 42 stud stories, five stars of the sport, four superstars of the past, plus three two-hour documentaries, and a freaking partridge in a pear tree. <laughs> that is only the beginning, y'all. Subscribe now at ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Stud, I don't see how you keep up with all this. Only $4.99 per month or $39.99 per year. It is the best old school streaming site on the planet. Do not miss this special offer right now for a limited time. Get a free one-week trial on ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. ClassicContinentalWrestling.com. Wow. All right, Stud, where do we ride next week? Well, who's going into another great card in southeastern Knoxville? Uh, this next one is going to feature the return of an all-time favorite there, Tora Tanaka, and uh, also the arrival of a masked man. It's going to be known as the Destroyer. 
Uh, we're going to talk about the entire card, uh, the TV promoting it, the results of the matches, and we'll uh, give everybody the attendance. Then we're going to ride men south into the red-hot southeastern Gulf Coast territory. Uh, there's all kinds of changes on the cards down there. Ricky Gibson is gone but I'll probably be replacing him, hopefully as a crowd favorite. Uh, Tony Charles and Bob Armstrong are going to become partners for the first time to go against Billy Spears' assassin. We'll cover the TV there, another great mobile card, the results in the attendance, and then hopefully, Dave, if we got the time, we'll do another learning tree question next week. Cool. Uh, want to thank everybody for your support. Uh, hope you all have enjoyed yourself today. And I hope you'll ride with us again next week. And please take care of yourselves and others. And may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.